It was 1940, a time of great crisis in Europe. The German armies had already conquered most of the Eastern Europe. Now the Blitzkrieg was sweeping across Western Europe towards England. In less than a week, the Netherlands, Luxembourg, and Belgium had fallen. France was next. Adolf Hitler was boasting that within two months, he would march at the head of his victorious army into London itself. With that, Neville Chamberlain, who was Prime Minister of England at the time, had completely been fooled by Hitler, and he resigned in disgrace. Winston Churchill, who had been warning the English people about Hitler, was asked to be the next Prime Minister. From then on, it was obvious that the outcome of the war and the future of Europe would largely depend upon Churchill's leadership. If I were Churchill, I would have felt the terrible pressure of leadership at that moment. But Churchill wrote the following. As I went to bed at about 3 a.m., I was conscious of a profound sense of relief. I'd read that a second time. A sense of relief. At last, I had the authority to give directions. I felt as if I were walking with destiny and that all my past life had been but a preparation for this hour and for this trial. I would have to ask the question, what caused Churchill to possess such confidence? He was taking over an unprepared country against the greatest military machine that had ever been created up to that time. How could he possibly say, I was conscious of a profound sense of relief? Evidently, he had an overwhelming sense of purpose for his life. Churchill was just one person, but through the efforts of that one person, strategically placed and courageously leading, the spirit of England turned from despair to hope. Gradually, the war was won, not only saving England, but some would claim saving democracy as a form of government in the world today. This morning, I would like to talk about living our lives with a sense of purpose. You and I were put on this earth with gifts, with talents, relationships that are waiting to fulfill God's purpose. Like Churchill, in God's plan, we have a destiny to fulfill. I know that you're probably thinking, I'm no Churchill. And you're right. I would agree. I know for myself, I'm not a Churchill. But you are. And I believe that God has a purpose for your life also. The title of our sermon this morning is, What is the Purpose of My Life? We will use the text of Nehemiah 
chapter 1 and Nehemiah chapter 6. There's one individual in scripture who may illustrate this better than anyone else. And as you know by my text, the name was Nehemiah. In fifth, from what I understand, 586 BC, the Babylonians invaded the country of Judah and totally destroyed Jerusalem. They were tearing down its houses and walls and even the glorious temple that Solomon had built. And they carried off thousands of Jews as captives to Babylon. But within 70 years, the Babylonians themselves had been conquered by the Persians. And any of the Jews who wanted to do so were allowed to return home. The returnees started to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. But the task was so overwhelming that they soon gave in to the discouragement. And the city remained in ruins. For nearly 100 years, conditions continued to deteriorate in Jerusalem. Sacrifices were no longer being offered, and many Jews were being uh, or beginning to adopt the lifestyle. If you can't beat them, join them, I guess is the phrase. So they, in discouragement, started to just accept that lifestyle and culture of the pagan people surrounding them. Hence, kind of like our society today. There are many beliefs and views that um, I know they're contrary to to many, but have become the way of life. I guess it goes back to the phrase when my mother used to ask me if if uh, so-and-so jumped off the bridge, would you jump also? Well, I see a lot of people jumping off the bridge, it seems like nowadays in our life, but but that's a second, that's a beside the point. But one man back in Persia was about to discover and live out God's purpose for his life. His name was Nehemiah. And from his example, I believe that we can find a way to answer the important question in our own lives this morning. That question is, what is the purpose of my life? To answer that, the story of Nehemiah suggests three actions I'd like to look at this morning. The first action, we need to take a, we need to cultivate a concern. We need to have a cultivation of a concern. The life of a purpose begins with a real concern that God has given each one of us. Churchill spent years learning and preparing and strategizing. Why? Because God had given him a concern about the safety of his people and his nation. Purpose always begins with a God-given concern. I'd like you to listen to Nehemiah verses 1 through 4. Nehemiah 1, the first four verses. In late autumn, oh, by the way, I'm paraphrasing as you read. In late autumn of the 20th year of King, um, I guess you would say, Ataxacus's reign, I was the I was at the fortress of Susa. And Hananiah, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had survived the captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, Things are not going well for those who return to the providence of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been burned. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted, and prayed to God of heaven. Nehemiah's concern over Jerusalem totally consumed him. He couldn't get it out of his mind. He continued faithfully with his duties. But inside, 
you would have to say his heart was broken. And he mourned, he fasted, and he prayed about the plight of Jerusalem. God's purpose for you will always begin as a God-given concern. I'm not talking about a temporary concern. I'm talking about something that sticks with you. Someone once stated that you will hear or see something that gets your attention. A thought related to the future will generate an emotion. Something will bother you about the way things are or the way things are headed. Unlike many passes concerns, these will stick with you. So unlike many of the passing concerns that you would have, these are the ones that stick with you. These are the ones that you find action that motivates you to go against. You will find yourself thinking about them in your free time. You will lose sleep over them. You won't be able to let them go because they won't let you go. Maybe God is already in the process of developing concerns in the hearts of some of you here this morning. If so, let me make a few observations about these concerns. First, realize that not everyone will share your concern. Did you notice that not that, that nobody else seemed to be convinced about this wall here? Nehemiah was convinced about the wall, concerned about it, but not everybody was. For years, the walls of Jerusalem had been broken down, but no one else seemed to be crying about the broken down walls. Nehemiah's concern was Nehemiah's alone. But what about us today? It's possible God has given you and me, each one of us, a concern. But you haven't cultivated it yet because no one else seems to share that same concern with us. We need to stop waiting for others. God has given us this concern for a reason. It's up to us to begin to cultivate and pray about that concern. As Christians, that is why we meet together. We talk about the assembling of ourselves together to encourage one another. Your concerns, your dilemma might be different than mine. But yet we encourage one another to be found faithful. I can see you grow through your concern. I may not totally understand what your purpose is, your individual concern. You may not fully understand mine, but we can encourage one another to follow in God's way. Secondly, we need to realize that not everyone has a concern the same depth as ours. And not everybody will do something about theirs. Remember when people first returned to Jerusalem, they had tried to rebuild the walls, but they gave up. They started, as Jesus talked about, like the seeds that were being planted, some seeds started to grow, but then stopped. These people started. They had that first initiation, but they gave up. We need to encourage one another to carry on, to be patient, and to continue to move forward. During those hundred years, do you think that Anybody else was concerned about rebuilding the walls? Yeah, there may have been some people, but they didn't do anything about it. Talking and doing are two different things. You see, not everyone who has a concern 
will do something about it. And I'm talking to myself. There's times that I have a concern that I think, well, you know, that should be done. But then a week later, I'm still saying, well, Eric, we should do something about that. A month later, I'm still looking at saying, I, 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 one of these days, I'm going to get out there and do something about it. We need to take action. And thirdly, realize that God often gives a concern before he provides a solution. Some of you may have God-given concerns, but you haven't done anything about them. And you'd ask, why not? Because you haven't seen for yourself what the solution is going to be. We need to look and be used by God as part of the solution. Nehemiah was a cupbearer for the king. He was responsible for ensuring the safety of the king's food and drink. Yes, he had become very concerned about the need to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But he wasn't in a position of authority to do anything about it. You see, I believe that sometimes God will give us a deep concern, yet he won't be immediately obvious what we are to do about it. But don't abandon it. Cultivate that concern. Pray about it. Bring it before God. Somebody has said there are many things in life that will catch your eye, but only a few will catch your heart. Those are the ones that you pursue. So we look at our life this morning. We look at what our focus could be. The time to take for prayer. Time to take in silence and meditation with God to realize these concerns that we have and to see where God will lead us. We talk about in our Bible study, a man, Abraham, being led to places he didn't even know where he was going, living in tents, but following God's plan. The second action we need to take from our text is to focus on the eternal. And that was what we saw in our Bible study this morning that Abraham did. Focus on the eternal. Ecclesiastes 3 and 11 tells us, He has set eternity in the hearts of men. And a life that's seeking God's purpose focuses on making an eternal contribution. There's a big difference between good ideas and God ideas. God ideas always center on the eternal. What made Nehemiah's concern a God idea? I'd like to look back at our text, Nehemiah 1. Now read verses 8, 9, and 10. It tells us to keep in mind, oh, by the way, I'd like you to keep in mind as we're reading this, verses 8, 9, and 10, you're overhearing Nehemiah's prayer to God. This is Nehemiah praying to God when he says this. Nehemiah prayed, please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you sin, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. You are, no, we are, we are your servants, the people you rescued by your great power and might. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. 
Please grant me success now as I go to ask the king for a great favor. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. Why was Nehemiah concerned about the broken down walls? Well, you could say that God had promised that if his people would return to him, then he would bring them back from exile and bless them in their own land. Nehemiah's concern wasn't really about a wall. His concern was about God's people taking their rightful place in God's plan. There is only one thing that will last into eternity. Your career won't last there. Your reputation, your bank account, as Brother Robert was saying in our Bible study today, the houses that some people are making won't. Only one thing will last into eternity, and that is us as people. Our job is to use our money, our time, our efforts, our abilities to influence people into an eternal realization. Nothing else matters. How do we develop a life of purpose? Three actions. One, as we mentioned, cultivate a concern. Two, as I mentioned, focus on the eternal. And there's one more action. A final action is number three, concentrate your energy. I'm going to fast forward a little in Nehemiah's story. Nehemiah overcame years of discouragement and opposition. And when we pick up the story now in Nehemiah chapter 6, the wall is almost complete. They were only days away from completing the project. But Nehemiah's enemies were stirring up trouble. Hmm. Seems like there's always trouble. Nehemiah 6, verses 1 and 2 say, When Symbolic, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet begun the doors and the gates. Symbolic and Geshem sent me a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Symbolic and company invited Nehemiah to a meeting. Hmm. The plan was to get him off the project, have him focus somewhere else, get him away from his supporters, and then probably kill him. But listen to Nehemiah's response. You can read Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3. It's a verse that everyone ought to underline and highlight in their Bible, I believe. His response was this, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. You can say that a bunch of different ways. Hey, I am doing what I should be doing. Leave me alone. I am focused on doing God's work. I don't have time for this other thing. Ways that we could say it. Focusing on the work of God. Nehemiah's answer. I am doing a great work. He knew that that's what God would want him to do. He felt concerned. He had a purpose in his life. Churchill had a purpose to do what he did. How much greater Nehemiah, 
All the people that we're reading about in Hebrews chapter 11 in our Bible study, by faith, these people knew what God wanted them to do. Each one of them could say, I'm doing a great work for the Lord. Leave me alone. You might have your earthly thoughts. How many times do men reason? Oh, I, yeah, I don't know why you're doing that. You know, God doesn't exist. I don't know why you do it. You're wasting your time. But we say, I am doing a good work for the Lord. We know what promise we have, that reward in heaven. This is a powerful verse. Nehemiah knew what to accomplish. He knew that to accomplish his purpose, he would have to watch out for the greatest enemy of purpose. He would have to deal with distractions. Things have a way of popping up to distract us, don't they? From the main things that God has given called us to do. For you people that know me enough, you know that I can easily be distracted. I need to focus. I'm one of those ones I always laughed about, like my in coaching. I always say, well, you guys can chew gum. If you can chew gum and talk at the same time, you know, you're pretty good. You guys can play for me. But I have to admit, there's times that I can't talk and do something at the same time. I get distracted. Did you ever get into that point where, I don't want to say too much, but did you ever get in that point where you start talking and you forget where you're headed? Yeah, I hate that. I start talking to somebody, and then a little bit later they'll say, well, shouldn't you have turned back? To- <laughs> yes, I should have. Especially when the grandkids tell me that stuff. I just tell them, okay, don't let me talk for a little bit. <laughs> let me concentrate. This is what I'm saying in life. That is why I believe that when Jesus talked about going into your closet or your prayer room, when you pray, all it's really saying is get rid of the distractions. That's why Brother Tom this morning was reminding us when we don't take the time, we, we, when we take communion, we used to have the time before COVID when we would pass the communion trays around. There was a moment that you could actually reflect and have a time of reflection. We lose a little bit of that when we now have those individual packets. But that is what we're trying to get to. Again, we take a moment with ours to reflect upon what is done. Get rid of all worldly thoughts in our heads. And focus upon what Jesus has done for us. Focus on God. Focus in our prayer. And that is what I'm trying to leave you with this morning. We know that distractions have a way of popping up. But we need to accomplish God's purpose. We need to learn to say no to some of these things that distract us. We need to live with this verse etched in our mind. I am doing a good work. I am doing God's work. And I cannot come down. I cannot be distracted by these other things. I wrestle with this as much as anyone. I have the joy of living out my purpose. And yet I'm amazed about how easily, as I told you, I get distracted. Some distractions are good. And yet I have to remind myself often of Nehemiah's thought. I need to be doing God's word. And when I'm doing God's work, I do not need to be distracted. I need focus, time, whether it be in the morning or whatever, in reading God's word to pray to God and have it just me and him and that we are not distracted by other things. You and I are put in this earth for a purpose. God has given us a unique contribution to make and never underestimate the power 
of just one person. I'd like to just quickly go to a biblical person at this time. Centuries ago, a woman did this by herself. One woman. In that time period, it was tough as a woman. But there was one woman that accomplished a bunch of stuff by herself. She had to think, I'm only one person. Things have gone way too far. And she certainly didn't think there was anything else that anybody could do. It was only a matter of time before all Jews were to be killed. For most of you that know that, her name was Esther. She was the Jewish wife of a Persian king. The man who had been tricked into making an irreversible, disastrous decision. All Jews were to be exterminated. But could the tide be turned by just one person? With God, of course, the answer is yes. Esther's adoptive father Mordecai, realizing that she alone held the key to her husband's heart, appealed to her conscience. You could read in Esther 4 and 14. Esther 4, 14, it says, For if you remain silent at this time, you and your father's house will perish. There's a perfect example that somebody could say, but I'm only one person. But the direct words are, if you remain silent, if you don't do this, if you don't take this on as a purpose in your life towards God's will, you and your entire father's house will be destroyed. What I bet got her attention was this final line. And you know, here's the final line, and who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. God's time right now. That did it. She broke long-standing protocol. She went into the king's throne room and rescued the Jews from a holocaust. Only one woman, only one voice, saved an entire nation. Of course, none of us will probably ever be a Churchill, a Nehemiah, or an Esther. And probably many of you are sitting here wondering what purpose God might have for you in your life. May I suggest one? Since the only earthly thing that will last for eternity is people, then the greatest purpose you and I have is to seek the influence. We need to seek to influence someone to become a Christian today and to remain faithful to Jesus throughout their lives. Who do you know that you love and who may love you who is not a Christian? It might be someone in your family, maybe a close friend. How about making them your purpose in life? Don't just think that it is a lost cause. Make them your God-inspired purpose. Cultivate your concern for them. Focus on the fact that the result will be eternal. And then concentrate your energy on reaching that loved one for Jesus. You might be amazed at the help that God will give you. A poet once wrote, I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do anything and everything, but I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, 
I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. Having done that, please put aside all excuses and ask yourself, what should I be doing today? Yes, you can make a difference. The question is, will you? If you don't do your part, who will? The lesson is yours this morning. We have the opportunity for those that have not been baptized to start by accepting God's plan of salvation and to believe, repent, and be baptized to walk in newness of life. If you need the prayers of the congregation or need to come forward to um, be baptized, you have the opportunity as we stand and sing song number 598.